Jesus approached us with a very distinctive love. He approached us when we were enemies of his. And I just want to kind of go through a couple of passages, three or four passages that are very familiar, and let us all reflect on the distinctive love of Jesus Christ for us. John 3.16, you're familiar with that, right? God so loved the world. We get a look at the unconditional love of God for mankind. And then Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We get the redeeming love of Christ, that he saw us in our sinfulness and he offered salvation through his death on the cross, his sinless sacrifice. He might offer salvation to all who believe. How about Romans 8, 37 to 39, that nothing, nothing past, present, future, nothing at all can separate us from the love of God. The eternal love of Christ is how he approaches us. And in 1 John 3.16, we are able to love because he first loved us. We see the empowering love of Jesus. Jesus has approached us with very distinctive love. That's how he chose to engage us. Do you ever take time to meditate on that, just to reflect on God's greatness and his goodness for you and me through his love? Jesus engaged us with a very distinctive love, and that's how he asks us to engage the world. So we are in a little sermon series on civility and cultural engagement, and we're looking at different passages. It's a topical sermon series, but we try to stay expositional within the passage. So we're going to turn to Galatians chapter 6 today, and we're going to look at a distinctive love that Jesus asks us to sow, that we might reap better engagement with the world, that we might ultimately communicate his love to the world and ultimately see them come to Christ. What is a distinctive love? Well, by the time we get to the end of Galatians 6, verse 10, you'll see that it's a love that is not just for people that we like or people that look like us, but it's a love that's for everybody. It's a love that's empowered by Jesus Christ himself. And it's a love that we are called to take to the world. So I invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 6, if you would. We're going to just kind of look at verse 10 in all three points this morning, but we're going to kind of look at the context in the first point, and that is that we are to sow distinctive love according to God's spiritual laws. Sow distinctive love according to God's laws, that he might work his will through our loving actions as we approach others. Paul's going to challenge us in regard to cultural engagement. Well, God runs the universe on natural laws, you know, things like gravity and the law of the harvest. That's what we're going to look at this morning in Galatians chapter 6. 
It is a law that is a great metaphor for an agrarian culture uh, like there was in the first century. It would have communicated very clearly uh, to them. We'll talk a little bit about the law of the harvest, and, and actually it's four laws that I'm going to share. We'll look at the first uh, three and then go from there. But when we love our others, our love is distinctive because God's will works through us. So we want to sow a distinctive love according to God's spiritual laws. I'm going to read verse 10 of chapter 6. We'll do this a couple of times. This is what he says. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. So then... This draws us into the context of the passage. And the, the passage here is just a short paragraph, verses 6 through 10. And it's in these verses that we see the law of the harvest. And I want to look at that uh, quickly. I want to look at the first three laws of the harvest. The first law is this, that we sow and we reap in like kind. That makes sense, right? We sow tomato seeds and we get tomatoes. We don't get watermelons. You can't change the crop as the harvest is coming in. We sow and we reap in like kind. This is what Paul wrote in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. You must decide when you plant the seed. Well, verse 7, we see that we can't sneer at God. We can't mock God. We can't circumvent his work. If we want righteousness, we cannot sow sin. We've got to be distinctive by sowing love. We can't sow hate and expect people to be receptive to us. I read an interesting question in a blog this week, and it was this, will we have earned the right to share the gospel with our neighbor a year from now, based on conversations we are having this November. We reap in like kind that we sow. Law two, we reap more than we sow. Seeds are always tiny. You get a lettuce seed and you get this huge plant of lettuce. If you've ever grown broccoli or zucchini, you know that it just virtually never ends. You're always sneaking out at night and dropping it off on people's front porches because we, we reap more than we sow. And that's not just in, in the natural law, but it's in the physical law as, or spiritual law as well. This is what Paul says in verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This truth holds in the spiritual realm. So if we are going to reap sin, if we are going to follow the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, then we are going to reap corruption. Pornography is such an easy example and so rampant, uh, male and female. If we're going to sow pornography, we're going to reap objectifying people. We're going to reap an unclean mind. 
It's hard to unsee what we've seen. We're going to reap a rewired brain. We're going to reap corruption if we sow to the flesh. But if we sow to the spirit, then we reap eternal life. And Paul's not talking about salvation here. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you receive the free gift of eternal life. It starts right then. It's the life of Jesus Christ in you. Paul makes that clear earlier in chapter 2, verse 20. So that when we sow to the Spirit, when we choose loving obedience to Christ, when we are energized by the Spirit, then we experience eternal life. We experience the flourishing life of Christ in us and going out to the world. And we reap more than we sow. Law number three is this, that we reap in a different season than we sow. Sun, soil, and water and seed work together to make a crop. Impatient people don't make good farmers. We must wait on God's work, on God to work his will in us. And this is what he says in verse 9. He gives us two words of encouragement here. He says, let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. Don't lose heart. Don't grow weary. Don't quit. Don't quit engaging the world. Don't quit loving on people. Don't quit letting God work in you. That's our encouragement from God that he is the one who is working on hearts, even if we don't see immediate results, because we reap in a different season than we sow. The law of the harvest, the laws of the harvest are natural laws that help us understand spiritual laws. And it's in cultural engagement, we need to remember that our actions have consequences. So again, to use the, the blog question example, the, the Actions, the attitudes, the words that we are using now will reap some type of relationship months down the road with the people that we're engaging. And we don't want to just write that off and say, well, I don't want to engage with them anyway in a few months. <laughs> because Jesus is calling us to engage and to sow a distinctive love that we might reap a relationship that allows us to point people to Jesus Christ. He wants us to sow a distinctive love so that he can bring a harvest about. Well, Paul's going to challenge us to practical acts of love now. So we'll go back to verse 10. And the second point is this, that we are to sow distinctive love according to God's desire. This is God's desire that we do good to others. Acts 10.38 informs us that Jesus went around doing good. And if you have read the Gospels, you know that by his healing of diseases, his casting out of demons, his raising the dead, his teaching, his compassionate touch, the look in his eyes, that he was explicit in bringing grace and truth to the world. That he sowed compassion, that he did good to people. Our love is distinctive when we follow in his footsteps. This is what Paul says in verse 10. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I want to look at that little phrase, do good. Actions speak louder than words. 
And, and so we are to give a verbal witness, but we are also to let our works be a witness that draw people to Christ. Not just our lips, but our lifestyle as well. Paul says, do good. Well, what does that look like? It looks like love. Do good. Do is an action. Love is the prevailing action of the Christian life. We are to get out there and to love others, to do what he has called us to do. That is how we approach people, and we do it in order to let Jesus reach their hearts. Paul has made an emphatic statement back here in chapter 5, verse 14. That really is one of the major themes of the book when he talks about the royal law of liberty. In chapter 5, verse 14, he says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul is quoting Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. He's quoting this command that was given through Moses as he wrote under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And it, we are told here that this sums up the law, that this fulfills the law, that everything in the law pours toward being able to love our neighbor as ourself. Jesus declared this passage to be one of the two greatest commands. You know the other, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Distinctive love is transformative because it seeks the best of the other person. The Christian life is, is not just all about meetings and events and gatherings. The Christian life is about seeking the best of others, about exercising the love that Jesus Christ exercised on our behalf, the love that he pours into our heart on a daily basis through the Holy Spirit. Do is an action verb. It pairs well with love. Because love is not an emotion, it's a volition. Love is not a feeling, it's an act of the will. We choose to love, we do that in obedience to the Lord. And we let him empower us to be compassionate and to be kind, to be able to love others. But it's not a feeling, we can't rely on the emotion Love is a choice to seek another's best, and that often comes at a cost to ourselves, just like Jesus paid an incredible cost on the, on the cross. That cost might come in terms of time, energy, material, resources, but we must be willing to reach out, to love others, to do good. And when we do good, then we're seeking the best of others. Now, love does not ask... Do they deserve my good works? That kind of defeats the purpose of loving others, of seeking the best of those around us. Love for others causes us to reflect on the love of Jesus Christ. And again, that is so motivating. We looked at just four passages at the very start in the introduction but it is so motivating for you and me and our relationships to consider 
again, where we were, helpless, rebellious enemies of Jesus Christ. And yet he demonstrated his own love for us. He went to the cross. God often in his word asks us to act toward others as he has acted toward us. Ephesians 4.32 might be one of the clearest passages where Paul says, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. We are called to mirror and mimic the actions of God toward us, specifically the love of Jesus Christ for us. He redeemed us when we were enemies. We are to do good. You could replace the good with love. Do love. Love discerns whatever is needed to the person in, for the person in front of you. The gospel is important. We must share the gospel, the verbal witness, but we're also to love in deed as well as in words. Our actions of love and care provide visual proof as to what we claim. And that's why, again, months down the road, people still hold on to the way we have treated them now. Kindness, compassionate love, or not. Love allows us to discern what their need is so that we can do good. And we have a helper, the Holy Spirit, to help us discern. What is the best way we can minister to this individual? My daughter, my youngest daughter, is a senior at A&M. And she was telling me a story this week that uh, in her department of geosciences, they have an organization and uh, they had a, a meeting recently. And in this meeting, a uh, sizable group, they started off with, I don't know, 10 or 20 questions. And it's one of those deals where you stand if, it's, uh, if the question is true of you. And then you get to look around the room and, and uh, see who you have things in common with. Well, one of the questions was, um, were you raised in a home that your parents did not tell you they loved you or were proud of you? And I'm not going where you might think I'm going, that my daughter stood up. <laughs> We try to express that regularly. She was shocked at the number of people. A large percentage, almost half, stood up and had that in common. Is that incredible? Now, she didn't have to wait long on the Holy Spirit for discernment. And she has chosen since she doesn't know the backgrounds of all of her friends, just to tell all her friends, I love you. I'm proud of you. Whenever they get together. Love helps us discern and love motivates us to reach out. Because Paul is telling us that we engage with the culture, we've got to do good. We've got to express love. We've got to be kind. We've got to be compassionate. We don't get to just react the way we'd like to especially to a lot of the people that we'd like to react to. And we have to stop that critical spirit when it bubbles up. I don't know what the opposite of bubbling up is, because that's not the best description for me. It kind of moves at mock speed. 
I can have a critical spirit when I'm out there with people that are not like me, and especially people that annoy me because they're not like me. That's not love. That's not kindness. That's not compassion. We got to be a people that do good. And we must remember that our desire to engage the culture by doing good is not self-produced. We've got to stay close to Jesus. We've got to live a life energized by the Holy Spirit so that the fruit of the Spirit, as we said last week, and as we should say every week in a series on civility and cultural engagement, is producing the fruit of love, peace, joy, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. All these fruit of the Spirit that allow us to engage in a sober, a measured, a loving way, and not a reactive, bitter, angry way. Paul calls that faith working through love. Back in chapter 5. Our love is transformative and distinctive because it is sown according to Jesus' desire for our sojourn in this world. He wants us to represent him with our good works. Well, not only must we do good, but Paul's going to tell us to whom we do good. What kind of people deserve our loving deeds? And if you've been following along, you can already guess. Verse 10 again. We're going to sow distinctive love according to God's ways. Sowing love distinctively because God reaps the harvest. He reaches into the hearts of the people we touch. And he wants us to act with practical love. We're not just to serve the categories of people that look and sound like us. Here's what he says in verse 10. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. We want to do this to all people. I'll go ahead and say that he's given us a couple of caveats here that uh, I'm passing over quickly. The last phrase there, especially to those who are of the household of faith, just like any family, we take care of family first and then we move out to the neighbors. But he's not calling us to ignore the world. He's not calling us not to engage with those around us. He's just saying, be, be sure that we take care of the family here. First, in the household of faith, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then earlier he says, while we have opportunity, while there is time. And you could look at that a lot of different ways, a stewardship of our time. You could look at it as a closing window. That's how I kind of look at it. A farmer has certain seasons when he can plant certain crops. And he's got a window of time where he wants to get it done. And we want to be a people that take advantage of these windows, these relationships that the Lord has given us, and the ability to speak into them and the ability to love on them with practical works of love. What we discover is that God's way is to permit no limits on our call to serve people with practical works of love. Our knee-jerk reaction is to eliminate people, or at least mine is. Perhaps you can identify with that. We don't wish to show any 
love toward. It may be public figures for you. It may be people that we see on the news all the time or social media. It, it may be colleagues at work. It may be classmates. It may be neighbors in the neighborhood. We can't afford to eliminate people. The term all is a technical term meaning any and everyone. It means everyone. And when we begin to eliminate people, then we are editing God's word. And we are taking out from God's word what we want out. When he's calling us to move into it, to respond in a loving obedience, to look for ways to reach out to all people, or at least those that are in front of us. We don't want to be a people that edit God's word so that we can do things our way. Excluding people from our circles and groups and outpouring of love is natural according to the ways of the world. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You're mean to me, I'm going to be mean to you. You uh, ignore me, I'm going to ignore you. We, we're just used to that. That's how our world works. That's not how the kingdom of Christ works. The disciple of Jesus is called to a greater love. We are called to do good to all people. Jesus understood that our love is to be distinctive, and he brought that out very clearly in Luke chapter 6. So we're going to go over there and look at a, a couple of uh, verses. But our practical works of love are to include people who hate us and, and oppress us. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36 is a powerful Passage. We're just going to look at a couple of the verses. I want to look at verses 27 and 28 first. Jesus says this, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now that's the way of the kingdom. Those are the values of Jesus Christ. They are not the ways of the world. And we are called to obey Jesus Christ. Now, there were Jewish communities at the time that did have categories of people. And one of the things that they had figured out was that all of their neighbors looked like them. All of their neighbors were in the club. They were Jewish. But their enemies were Gentiles. And as they looked at the Old Testament they did see that they were to love their neighbor. So since they had a category of neighbor that represented themselves, they could tell people that's what you do. And you push away your enemies. Jesus is changing that. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mountain, in the Gospel of Matthew, he actually says, one of those antitheses, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. Those are not my words. Those are not man's words. Those are the words that he is using to draw us in. It's straightforward. We don't want to line up our enemies on one side of the room and our neighbors or our friends or those to whom we'll express love on the other side of the room. We don't want to define people of being worthy and receiving our love and some people of being unworthy and not receiving our love. We're not to set boundaries. As Jesus is telling us, there is no distinctiveness to your love. 
If this love is going to reflect my love, says Jesus, then your love must be distinctive. And there is no distinctiveness if you choose to live according to the ways of the world. Just a little bit further in that passage, I want to read verses 32 to 34. Jesus continues, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. The disciples' love should be better than the ways of the world. It should be a distinctive love. And Jesus says, when you live by the ways of the world, when you hurt them because they hurt you, when you ignore them because they ignored you, you are just like the sinners. Even sinners can do that. That is not distinctive. And that's the love that Jesus is calling us to, a distinctive love that goes out to all people and not just to categories. So you and I have to think about what groups do we typically place in enemy territory? Who are the enemies? Who are the people that we're disinterested in? What categories are they? What kinds of groups? Do you have ways to distinguish between an enemy and a neighbor? I like what G.K. Chesterton once said. He said, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because they are generally the same person. Isn't that true? Sometimes our neighbors are the ones that play their music too loud. They're the ones whose friends park in our front yard. They're the ones whose dog barks relentlessly. They are the ones that we often view as enemies. And yet the Lord has given them to us as a mission field. He has given them to us with a target on their back to express God's love to. He wants us to do good to all. And that includes neighbors, even if we think of them as enemies or anyone in our sphere of influence. Do good to all people. So let me ask just a couple of questions as we think about the application here. Perhaps the Spirit's already working uh, on your mind and heart. Do you take seriously the needs that the Lord puts in front of you? Uh, our community impact uh, paper, I think we just got it yesterday or, or two days ago, came out. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but uh, one of the front page articles that continues later on is a story on historic black neighborhoods. If you're familiar with Dugan and Maidley, those are two of the areas that are highlighted. And they talk about this underserved area and some of the history and a lot of the changes that have taken place there. And so I just want to I just want to highlight that and say, hey, there it jumps off the page at you. It's right there on the, the, the front page. And, and I'm just asking what goes through your heart when you see that? Is that just, well, that's their problem or is that our problem? It's in our city or is there just a little spark of love and perhaps you pray for them or perhaps you say, well, what would happen if I got involved? Because we're called to do good to all. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I'm telling you to fix your categories. And that may be necessary. But I'm not telling you what the application is needs to be. I just want to be able to stretch our thinking 
a little bit. There's another article in there about food insecurities, about groups of people here in Montgomery County uh, to whom we've ministered with the food bank, the mobile food bank. Um, they are people that have jobs and they are people who are living paycheck to paycheck and often run out of money for food before the next paycheck. And so when you serve in a food bank, that mobile food bank that we host here once a quarter, you are serving people of that nature. Perhaps some of you would want to take your family down to the food bank and, and work on a regular basis. Those are ways that we can find practical ways to express God's love, distinctive love that earn us the right to share the gospel, to communicate more about this person, Jesus Christ, who has given me a love for you. These are some of the examples. Today, uh, as uh, Chris said earlier, and if you've been out in the, the hallway, you've already seen that Under Over is with us. And uh, they are uh, selling things that they have made. They have a phenomenal ministry uh, to the homeless in the Conroe area. And they do all kinds of things. They train them, they equip them for jobs. Uh, they give them, they provide housing for some, uh, provide clothing and meals and all of that. And many of you have helped with the meals down there. Um, I challenge you just to go out there and get to know some of those guys on a, on a name, first name basis. Basis, especially Jerry, shake his hand, thank him for what God is doing through him here in Conroe. And maybe some of you want to find out how you could get involved on a regular basis. We are called to do good to all. We have needs all around us. So how can we wrap this up? We wanted to sow distinctive love. Well, let's look at the fourth law of the harvest and this law simply says we can't change anything about past harvests, but we can change future harvest. We can sow differently now so that we reap differently in the future. And, and so perhaps when you think about your life, you have had categories or you have excluded people intentionally on purpose, out of anger, out of bitterness. Uh, you haven't forgiven people. You've refused to express the love of Jesus Christ. You can change that. You can sow love and kindness and compassion now. You can ask Jesus to help you. And he will empower you through the Holy Spirit. And he'll give you the ability to look at people with his eyes while his words are ringing in your ears. Do good to all people. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge that we need. And we thank you for the uh, privilege that comes with obeying you, the joy that you increase in our hearts, the love that you pour into our hearts, not to hold as if we were proud of it, but to let it flow through to others. And we pray that you would soften our hearts and give us a ready 